again, I want to thank you all for being a part of the conservatory and for having your trust in this area. It's such a major area to have somebody's ear in ministry. And it's scary too, because you're responsible. I'm responsible for every word that I speak. And so I always try to be open to correction, to be open to understanding that I don't know everything and that that I do know I'm laying it down today so that tomorrow can be better for me. And those are things that I try to help and, and guide you concerning as well. And there are people that will resist you, <laughs> you know, but that's okay. It's, it's their walk. It's not my walk. It's their walk. So as long as we can let go of those things, we can move forward. So I just want to say good morning to you. Good morning. Welcome to the Scrabble Conservatory Arts and Worship Center. I want to thank you that we're getting um, closer to really defining and super, superly defining what God has called us to do. Because as creatives, we're in all kinds of places in this world system and in the congregation. And we need truth to navigate. We need to understand certain things because artists are so creative that it puts their mind in a place that is not always good. <laughs> it's not always healthy. So we want to make absolutely sure that we are standing in a healthy place. Artists tend to be people that want to do what they want to do all the time. So guiding artists can be challenging. And I'm speaking of myself whenever I talk. So we need environments like this where even the teachings that we get, we can find a place for them and we can see how they fit inside um, our, our particular um, interests and callings. So the Scribal Conservatory overview is here. You've probably had a chance to read it for the 100th time, but I'm gonna skip right down to the principles. And I just wanna say that we work overtime in the conservatory to make sure that we are renewing the mind. That's so when we say transforming nations, we're talking specifically about mind renewal, ripping away the old, bringing in the new, causing you not to get comfortable where you are. We reinforce covenant and we're gonna do that today. We're gonna really hit covenant heavy. Um, it's Hebrews 8, 6 to 13 is our passage. And just remember that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, that he was the mediator of a better covenant. Not Moses, not the God of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, but Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. And we have to stay on that side of the cross. And so always elevating Christ above men, we're hitting that area today as well. So um, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 is our passage, but you're going to want to read the book of Hebrews. And um, Christ is worthy of greater honor than Moses. And that is, that's the bottom line, the bottom line. Christ is worthy of greater honor than Moses. And that means put any person that you admire in that place and just remember that Christ is worthy of great, greater honor than Moses. Whatever the pastor, the leader, the parent, the loved one is, Christ is worthy of greater honor than Moses. Moses meaning any human, anything that we're doing, that's where we put him. 
So increasing understanding. And that's just my heart right there. Proverbs 2. He stores up sound wisdom for the righteous. So basically, we have a guarantee that we can have understanding if we are righteous. And so that whole Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 15, that that needs to be like driven like a hammer because there are so many rewards of understanding. And I realize that a lot of people don't have rewards or, you know, breakthroughs in certain areas simply because there's no understanding. When understanding comes, it changes your perspective and it changes your mind. And it puts you in a different position than the position you were in before. So immersion is where um, our heart is. And that's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That was the scripture that I started out with in ministry of, um, over 20 years ago now. And um, it just says that we have been um, baptized, well, immersed in the reality of the Father, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. So part of that phrase is what we hold on to, which is an immersion, understanding that we're called to an immersive life, not just being saved, but a life of immersion. This is how you contact us, how you stay in touch. I really want to encourage you to become a part of the Scribal Conservatory's Facebook group. So let that be a priority. We'll be engaging more there in the coming um, days and weeks. Bible study is Tuesday night, so don't forget that, 7.30 p.m., and we're going to stay on this topic that we're beginning today, and again, I'm always open to other discussions if things come up in our midst. want to encourage you, please support the podcast. Tell other people about it. God is really getting great glory from this podcast, and and you think you're teaching people about scribes and they're telling you they're learning other stuff. So it blesses me to know that the message of, of the gospel and the message of immersion is still coming through, whether I'm teaching on scribes or we're sitting here in the conservatory. So be encouraged in that place as well as, as joining me here as you have time. So this is how you give. And I pray that you consider giving today. And I will be reminded, I'm sure, to put that screen up later so that you'll be able to um, have it. And also just asking right now, go ahead and post the giving information in the, um, the Bible study group. Now, what we're going to talk about today is this. Is it ministry or is it something else? And I know that's a loaded question to ask. But I want you to keep that question before your mind through everything. This is probably going to be a three-part teaching. Today may not be that, that interesting, but I hope that you can follow with me because I believe we need a foundation before I can really go in at the depth that I believe the Lord wants me to. And I decided to do this teaching. You all don't know this, but most of the time, I don't even know what I'm going to teach until around 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. And it's generally a pouring out of things that I've studied over the years. So it's not that I've been combing through the Bible looking for something to teach, but the Lord just wakes me up every Sunday morning around 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And this is what I hear. 
Then I get dressed, I come downstairs and I do the PowerPoint and everything before the service. I, I can't, I don't know. I've tried to plan weeks in advance. It just doesn't work like that for me. For years, I used to do that. But now that the word is dwelling in me and coming alive, it's not necessary for me to have outlines and papers and all of that anymore. It's a beautiful place to be able to stand wherever you are and just start teaching what is already on the inside of you. So I want to encourage you there because I really believe that God is going to take some of you there that are called to vocational ministry, that you'll be able to do that, that the word will rest deeply in you. And I just declare that today. Well, all you'll need is an unction and you can follow the leading of the spirit and give people nothing but Jesus, nothing but Jesus. So is it ministry or is it something else? Now, I want to just say that the congregation is constantly changing. So, I mean, constantly changing. And the church that we know today, in 20 years, it won't be the church that we know right now. It'll have transformed into a greater place, a different place to fit the lives and the ministries of those who are living in that time. Job 14 and 7, it says this, for there is hope for a tree when it is cut down that it will sprout again and its shoots will not fail. Now we know Job was seeing himself as a tree or that, that, or that passage of scripture is referring to a person. But I want you to understand that we are the church. And so when we say that the, the congregation is changing, we're talking about the changing in us because we bring the congregation forth in the earth. As sons, our role is to bring the congregation forth, bring the move of God that is happening in that particular dispensation forth. And we want to recognize that the congregation is supposed to change. The thing about it is, is that change comes with a whole lot of struggle and a whole lot of pain. It comes with sometimes with confusion and uncertainty. How can I say this? I can say this because any place of spiritual growth I have or any place of spiritual growth, especially leaps and bounds that you will have will come with the time of uncertainty. It will come with the time of, of just maybe even some chaos. It'll come with some difficulty and some trouble until you make it into that next place where clarity ultimately comes. Sometimes when we're going through our, our transformation or our change process, we believe that we're the only one. We think nobody else can see it. We, we figure nobody else can understand. If you have a good leader, that leader already knows when you're entering the transition, when you're in the transition, and when you're coming out. It's a spiritual thing. It has nothing to do with talking to you. It has nothing to do with um, being nosy. If you are sensitive in the spirit, you can follow the shifting in people that you are in close relationship with. And this is, this is powerful. Because as a leader, it'll let you know when to pull back and not be so involved in what that in what that mentee or that person you love is doing. And then it'll also alert you when you need to be more involved. 
because we're not here to clone people. We're here to help people become who they always were, but they didn't know that's who they were and they didn't know how to unlock that on the inside of them. So our role, it should be a constantly changing congregation and we should not be afraid of that. But unfortunately, a lot of people fear change and they fear change simply because of its uncertainty, simply because there are no guarantees in the midst of it, simply because they're always wondering, oh my God, what's gonna be on the other side of this? But I want you to know that this scripture, it says, for there is hope for a tree when it is cut down, that it will sprout again. And so what we have in the midst of change is a non-moving hope. And that hope is that Christ has already done what he said he was going to do, and that's perfect his bride. And we have to see ourselves in that process and say, listen, the, all a tree can do when it's cut down, when the limbs are cut off, when the seasons change, when those leaves change, like this beautiful picture in the background, Listen, they're going to be green, green, then those yellow, dead-looking times, brown, dead, maybe some black. Oh, you're bleeding. I mean, you're going to go through those changing seasons, and the church goes through them. And we've got to learn, and this is what the Lord was sharing with me this morning. He was basically saying to me, as I just laid there looking at the ceiling, that we have to have more mercy for the changing church. I want you guys to hear that again. We need mercy for the changing church because it's not just you and I that are in transition. Even though some people are not moving, the congregation is still changing. Even though some people are not shifting and growing, the congregation is still moving forward in many ways because we are the kingdom of heaven, right? We're that place. I want to let you know right now that I am, um, my computer is deciding to do something. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to the next slide um, real quick, but I will. All right, give Apostle just a moment, everybody. Yes, yeah, something happened. I can't even explain what. Um, hmm. I, I guess I probably got disconnected. Hold on. All right, so did you all see this slide? I want to make sure before I move forward. Okay, so yeah, I'm just going to move on. Oh, you didn't see this. So that probably means you may have missed um, something else. Okay, so that time that I was out. Basically, I just want you to know that the church is constantly changing and that the church is moving forward. And it's moving forward whether people are moving forward or not. I want you to know that. Because there's always people that are moving forward when everyone else is standing still. 
Um, and I, and so let's see, I just want to make absolutely sure we're going to go back here real quick. I just want to read Job 14, seven, one more time. It says, for there is hope for a tree when it is cut down, that it will sprout again and its shoots will not fail. The last thing I remember saying before I moved to the next slide and lost you all was simply this, is that this hope is that we have to believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has fulfilled everything he came to do. Because if a tree is cut down, it, it basically, if the tree is cut down, that is no indication at all that the congregation is not growing, that is not changing, that is not moving forward. There will be many trees that are cut down, but there is hope that those trees will sprout again, will sprout again. I don't want you to miss that because the minute we believe that there is no hope is the minute we lay down the hope that Christ has even for us individually. Because I know for me, there were times when people thought that there was no hope. Oh, Teresa's never going to come to the Lord. Teresa's never going to walk out our purpose and destiny. You know, that I, people prophesied and came to me throughout my life saying, you need to know Jesus, but I never received them. You know, I never, my heart was never broken toward the Lord until much later in life. But listen, there is hope for a tree. There is hope for a tree. And these leaves kind of um, the, in the background of this image paints a picture of that. And I want to say this 20 years ago, here we go. 20 years ago, I can't go back further than that. As far as my lived experience, I'm only speaking to you from my own experiences. I want to just share with you in this moment to consider things that you remember 20 years ago. If you've been saved 30 years ago, I want you to look back 30 years ago. If you've been saved 40 years, I want you to look back 40 years ago. But I want you to know that when I became a believer, the massive surge in the arts was only a hope for the congregation in the in the in the in the um in our country in the United States. All we had in my environment was worship. There were some dance ministries emerging. There were a few arts conferences here and there, but they were so rare that everybody knew where those conferences were because there were only two or three in the whole nation that had national and international recognition 20, 21 years ago in my time among the people that I was walking with during those times. And there were some extremes among pioneers that unfortunately are mostly lost today. And I hope to do my part. And when I tell about my journey, talking about the, the ministry that we're doing today, that I remember those people, that we keep them in our history because they were doing amazing things, seeing what God wanted in the arts 20, 30, 40 years ago, but pioneering for breakthrough, especially in the area of dance and in the area of drama 
you know, back in back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So 21 years ago, we didn't have a lot of this. The majority of believers were in Sunday attendance-based ministry 21 years ago. And if you ask any believer from 30, 40 years ago, up until the turn of the century, no one would have guessed in a million years that people would ultimately one day turn away from um, Sunday attendance-based ministry that's been a part of culture in the United States since, hey, since the nation was formed. And, you know, when it, when, since the, the United Nations was formed here in the United States. So, and also, you know, 20 years ago, women were still exclusively in the background at massive levels in ministry. Listen, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, women were still in the background at massive levels and that there's been tremendous progress. That's the point of my sharing this. Have we arrived in any of these areas? No, but we are nowhere where we used to be historically. And we need to see this, that the congregation that men have built, it is changing. God is having his way. He really is having his way. It's slow because many of us aren't catching on, but it's not because God is slow. It's just because we're just moving along in the capacity that we have revelation because the Bible tells us clearly that everything we need for life and godliness is already in us. So God is not holding anything back from us. He's literally waiting on people to open up to what he's already released in the earth. And when he does, we have movements. We'll see the spirit begin to come forth and blow on it. We'll see advancements. We'll see the timing and seasons of God coming forth. We'll see things break loose and break free. A lot of the barriers and things that we experience in ministry, we try to blame on God. But the truth of the matter is the people have been asleep and a lot of the moves cannot take place until, get this, an awakening comes. Someone's bold enough to speak out against what is the norm. Someone's bold enough to decide, I want to do it this way. And then you have the opening and you have all of these things that have already been in the earth awakening and opening up. I believe that we have a lot of misunderstandings about movements and about times and seasons that we think that God is giving us a time for something when the truth is everything is at our hand. What we're waiting on is people. We're waiting on people to wake up. We're waiting on the opening of eyes. We're waiting on the opening of hearts. We're waiting on the change to come in us so that God can have his way. Because basically what we learn about Christ is that he really won't do anything without our, our, our invitation. <laughs> Listen, until we're ready, he won't move. That's, a, that's for another teaching. Some of you got what I'm saying in that. So we've entered a reformation of questioning something that my mom was a part of the silent generation. You know, she, that was how she was born in the early 1930s. So her generation was called the silent generation. 
And so they didn't speak things, but that's the way they did things back then. So God could not move with a whole lot of people in agreement that we can't speak certain things. But when people started being bold and coming out of those types of thought processes and belief systems, we see the spirit of God blow. We see the spirit of God say, I can get through here. I can, there's a, there's a space and they're letting me in and I'm going to come and I'm going to blow a strong wind. I'm going to wake up others. That is what happens. But the way we teach times and seasons, people are waiting around for God and God has already done everything. It's just insane to me. But hey, new revelation opens those kinds of things up and I'm just waiting on God, you go ahead. But I'm going to imagine the possibility. I'm going to lead out of the possibility. I'm going to step into what I see and open up what I'm waiting on because I know it's just ahead. You have to have a pioneering spirit to see change. We are upon a new frontier. Um, You know, we entered a reformation of questioning, of challenging and breaking free of norms. And we're still there. We're really, uh, listen, we are bent in this place right now. The 21st century has given us this. And more people are seeing their value and finding desperation in seeing their value and purpose and destiny and seeing it recognized and made use of than they ever had before. Every generation in this country before us has done what they have been told. They followed what people have said was the righteous way to do it. They've listened. And see, this is why I I need to tell you that this conversation is about mercy. Because when you are exploring when you are finding your place, when you're trying to find and dig and excavate what is new, there is mercy for us. There is grace for us. And God is not holding us back. We are holding ourselves back. Oh, I don't know if this is impacting you, but the more I talk about what was on my heart this morning, it just shows and reveals to me how much more there is for us to do. Wow. Asking questions gives us movement. It gives us direction. It can also lead to wrong direction, but you don't want to ever stop asking questions. Never stop asking why. Never stop asking why. Not just what, but why. Those why questions are invaluable, invaluable. So great mercy is often needed in change. And I'm just going to show you this real quick because I know I brought it up before, but I think it's imperative that we keep looking at it, that we keep seeing um, this passage of scripture. So I'm just going to read this part to everything. There is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven or under the sun, depending on Again, I think I've been telling you that a lot of the translations are being updated to correct language. So don't be frightened by this. 
but as long as we have legal documents that have the language of the Bible in it that they are finding along with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we can finally get the actual meaning of the words that were used because it's easy to interpret legal documents and the language used. If someone is sentenced to death and that, that, that legal document says that, and you see the same language used in the Bible, but you didn't really understand what it meant in the scriptures, then you can use the context of the world that they lived in. Like when I was growing up, people, my sisters, my sisters particularly, used to use words like jive turkey and boogie and stuff like that. I didn't use those words in my generation. So when I got older, I went back and started looking up what those words meant so that I would have context for those things because they still talk like that. <laughs> I'm just telling you. So this gives you an idea of what I'm talking about because religiosity and confusion and religion won't let you update things to their true meaning. They'll want to hold on to how we said it back in the 1960s and the 1970s, not understanding that those words are no longer relevant and they're not even really included in modern day dictionaries. <laughs> so I, I'm just throwing that out there because I really want to challenge you all to see. But it says here to everything there is a, re a season, a time for every purpose under the sun. This is true individually. It's true for me and my personal life. It's true for you and your personal life. It's true in an organization. It's true in life itself. It's true wherever you go, there's going to be a time for something to be born and a time for something to die, a time for something to be planted, a time for something to be plucked up, a time for something to be killed, a time for something to heal, a time to break down, a time to build. This is an endless life cycle. We will replay this over and over and over again, all the way down to a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time to war and a time of peace. So why is this important? It's important because if we're looking at the fact that the church is constantly changing, that means that guess what? The congregation that we call the church is going through these cycles as well. That's what that means. And we need to be able to rightly apply that and look at where we are, because right now, listen, you may not realize it, but all of us, I'm, I know the ministry God has entrusted to me was a turn of the century ministry. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we were, I was brought alive in Christ in a time when the type of release that I have is needed for the congregation. There are some people that's not built on, listen to this, that's not built on anything from the 20th century in the sense of doctrine or understanding. Everything that I've been doing since I came to Christ has been forward moving for this generation. There are quite a few ministries that I've seen have made the leap. They were a part of the 20th century and they were a part of the 21st century movement and they have been able to transition. And then we have a whole group of people, a whole group of congregations more than the other two 
that are still locked in a century that has passed. Doesn't mean God isn't getting glory from them. This is why we need so much mercy among us. This is why we need to understand that change sometimes leaves people behind. I was in a part of a church that would always say things like, if you can't go with me, God's doing this. And they were always throwing people under the bus. And I grew up with that mindset and mentality that everybody can't go with you where you're going. That's not a place of celebration. Thank God I caught on to that as I matured in ministry and I stopped saying dumb stuff like that because it's not released out of the heart of God. God doesn't say things like that to us. But he does say things to us like you can stay there if you want to, but I'm moving forward. And real forward movement would never leave dead bodies in the background. It will leave you grieving and it will leave you sorrowful and it will leave you get this. That tree has been cut down, but there is a hope that that tree can flourish again. That is the hope that we have for those that are left behind. There are people in ministry that have walked with me, but they got left behind and they didn't know me anymore. But listen, there is a time for, excuse me, for everything under the sun. There is mercy and there is grace. And there is opportunity and there is change. Being left behind or feeling left behind does not mean all is lost if you're able to endure. It just means one thing, change is upon you. Change is upon you. Change is upon you. And you have to decide to embrace the change. That means getting to know people you knew in an old season in a different way. That means looking at that church that's still doing it like they did in the early 1900s with mercy and with grace, not condemnation. And because the intention and the heart sometimes is right, even when the doctrine is wrong. Oh my God, don't worry. I'm gonna show you in the scripture because it is there. It is there. It is there. Yes, I I had to move away from people because what they were doing was not profitable to my 21st century calling. I'm called to this century. And all of us are if we're able to change. So all that talk about, man, they they too old now. They need to go on and sit down and let the young people come up. That's a lie. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that we all progress together. So a lot of this thinking and a lot of this um, weirdness that we will see in the body of Christ It's just a shame because it's nothing but flesh. It's nothing but people teaching 
and not God teaching. God doesn't kill off people so that other people can have a place. That's not a God doesn't work like that. If that, that's that's something Zeus would do or Ra would do, or that might be something you find in Van Hala, but you are not gonna find it in the kingdom of God. We grow together and we grow up in him. So I know it's like, what is she talking about? Is it ministry or is it something else? Is it ministry or is it something else? We're getting there. And again, this is part one. But in order to talk about this, there has to be a conversation because there's always going to be people that are living in an old time. Listen, we all live in our time in our own way. I still listen to my favorite singers from the late 80s, early 90s, because that defined my young adulthood. So listening to SWV and, and listening to Monica, and I mean, my goodness. But there is an honor there. There are things that I pulled out of that place that are still relevant today. So we have a whole generation that we have to raise up. And if we can understand some things about ministry and about the changing of seasons, I love this picture. You know, I always remind my daughter, you know, my daughter, because she is um, really adulting right now. <laughs> so, I, you know, I remind my daughter, I said, baby, you can glorify your youth, but you will age. Pray that you grow up. Pray that you have decades behind you. Pray that you can be among the ones that can still move forward. 30 years from now, when you're, you're, when you're approaching another season of your life. Oh my goodness. I'm building, keep building with me. There is one constant in our calling. I didn't say one constant in ministry. I said one constant in our calling. If you are listening today and you believe that you are called to ministry in any capacity that um, you believe you want to serve, if you believe this, know that we're all called to minister to people like Christ. I'm going to say that again. We're all called to minister to people like Christ, and we must figure out how to do that. I like this picture because it's a picture of a whole bunch of people. It's a, um, this picture is, is, I have the right to use it. I just want to say that, but this picture has like this, um, group of people all looking straight ahead and all watching. And there are these shadowy figures up ahead that you can't really see. And it causes us to ask ourselves who has their attention. Who are they listening to? And if they're all forging ahead, we already know that, that we could be asking another question. Where are they going? Where are they going? Are they going into greater darkness? 
or are they going into greater light? So when we look at this call to minister to people like Christ, we're literally saying, where are we leading the people that we believe we are ministering to? Are we leading them deeper into our own selves, our own desire to be worshiped, our own desire to be followed and have a following? Are we, are we leading them into that? Or are we leading them into the presence of God, a place where they can figure out their place in this world? where they can figure out where they fit and how to belong and, and how to be a part of the solution. What are we leading them into? Is it ministry or is it something else? Is it ministry or is it something else? And how are we going to give them the tools to figure out how. Let's take a look at uh, Matthew 5 real quick. I think it's important for us to consider how Jesus started his ministry to people. And since we have been doing all of our teachings, I've been begging and pleading with you to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 over and over again. You know, if you don't feel led to, please know that it's always okay to read the Bible wherever it's fall, it falls open. It's always okay to read the Bible when you're given instructions to, when you're in a leadership or a mentoring position. It's always okay to read the word. You can read this and what you're, you're led to read. But I think it's so important because I believe the first sermon, the most powerful sermon that Christ ever, that Jesus ever gave is important. And I believe it's more important today than it has ever been in this century, in the 21st century, because of the spirit of this age. And we're going to talk about the spirit of this age in great detail next Sunday. But just go with me for a minute to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. And so I want you to see this. He says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Wow. He saw the crowds and he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him. So they followed him up there and he began to teach them. So he saw the crowds, but he began to teach them. So he's like, I'm going to take advantage of this. The crowds are coming, but I'm really pouring into my group. The people that I know can carry what I have and can carry it to uh, uh, long after I'm gone. I'm teaching them but I see these crowds. So I'm gonna go up in the mountain where I can project my voice. I'm gonna go up in the mountain where they will see me and I won't be low where they can't see me. I'm gonna go to a high place where they can know and hear what I see and they can even see my disciples sitting at my feet. And the first thing he said was, blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy and to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Oh my God, 
Those were Jesus's first words to the multitudes. Those were his first declarations. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance and those who regard themselves as insignificant for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Just let that rest in you for a minute. Now, it's so important for us to recognize that spiritual prosperity is freedom to be who you are ordained to be. Oh my God to be looked up to because of who you have become that is him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed, admire those who see or who have become the example that you can follow because they're devoid of spiritual arrogance. Oh my God. We're supposed to be admiring things that are void of spiritual arrogance. We're supposed to admire people, not people that look low on themselves. So this is not the low self-esteem conversation when we talk about the word insignificance. Uh, Humility means to be exactly who God ordained you to be without apology, but without arrogance. It's to be a person of authority. It's to be a person who is sure of who they are. It's to be unapologetic in the things that God gives you that represent him. But it's to do those things without posturing yourself, without making yourself great, without throwing yourself in social climbing and without all of the stuff that flesh does. True humility is not about being in the background. It's about being in the position you're called to with authority and with power, but without arrogance. Jesus began his message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, that they will be comforted. Verse four, blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their own sins and repent for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Oh my God. Oh, Jesus, help us. Is it ministry or is it something else because ministry is built on the foundation of Matthew 5 humble yourself be poor in spirit count yourself as nothing Jesus even said I counted myself as nothing in comparison to who God he counted himself not equal to God but he never deviated from his own mantle He never deviated from his own purpose. Jesus started his ministry here. I pray that you all are hearing me in the spirit. 
And I pray that it's resonating because you're already able to see, is it ministry or is it something else? Because real ministry doesn't try to make a way for itself. It just is because of who God is. We do a lot of stuff in ministry that is absolutely us 100%. Like I said, when I started ministry, you didn't have, when I started ministry, when I started ministry 21 years ago, we did not have JoJo Ministry International. We did not have the scribal conservatory. We did not have these, everybody, everybody. Why do we need this teaching? Because we're in a place right now, the spirit of this age causes everybody to believe they have to incorporate a ministry. I'm gonna let that rest right there. Everybody, the spirit of this age causes people to build in ways they were not ordained to build. But it has also released different ministry types that are necessary for the kingdom to move forward. I've counseled people that have had ministries that have had zero growth. And listen, I, I hear me in the spirit when I say this. This is not a throw off. I'm not, I'm not condemning people. This is a message of mercy. I want you to see that this is a message of mercy. This is a message that as we figure it out, there are going to be some things that we do wrong along the way. There's going to be a time when we put things in place that never should have been there, but they're going to be the best lessons of our lives because we're going to learn from them. Is not to go out and start plucking up trees. God plucks up trees. Let him raise up kings and take them down. Let him do what he was designed to do. But what we do as leaders and why we need leaders is to help people figure out what is, what is of God concerning their destiny and purpose? Because what if somebody launches a ministry and they're not called to that type of vocation? Someone has to speak into that and they have to speak into it with love, with grace, with mercy and with compassion. Why? Because the spirit of this age has created an environment where everybody thinks that if this is not incorporated, if I don't have a title, if I'm not offering classes, if I'm not doing this, then I'm not really in ministry. The spirit of this age says, oh my God, I've been so hurt. I can't go back to a church again. I can't. So they start ministries. I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture here of the growing pains, the stretching, the breaking, the place that the congregation is in right now. And I'm saying to us, we've got to stop condemning people for their transition and their change. 
We need to be in a place that is more worthy of tarrying with them, helping them figure it out because I promise you, God will shut it down if we're able to trust him. God will close it. How do I know? Because they'll start a ministry and three years later, it will be non-existent. Callings don't operate like that when they're vocations. Vocations are everlasting. Oh my God. And ministries that do shut down transition into greater if they are a part of a calling. I'm just going to leave this right here. Is it ministry or is it something else? Are people just struggling to figure out where they fit? Are people running because they don't understand that the church is transitioning? So they're running from what they consider as an old model when, and it really is, but they don't know how to acclimate to the new model. So they're in this in-between place where people are fighting and struggling over control of people and the church. Some of you are getting this. I know you are. Others may have to go back and um, hear this because God has a merciful place for the people of God who really love him because what matters is the people's love for God. If you love God, you're only going to be able to run the wrong way for so long. Oh my God. You're only going to be able to hit a brick wall, but for so long, because when that tree is cut down, when you get to the end of yourself, you're going to say, oh my God, I need to humble myself. Because the pride of life, the spirit of this age, this entitlement, this stronghold that I need to be seen, all of this desire to be visible will come down. I remember the day that I realized I didn't need to be seen anymore. And it's making me weep because I used to be one of those people that wanted to be something. I didn't feel like my ministry was anything unless it was visible. So I chased famous ministers. I sat under their ministers' ministries and they were corrupt. And I almost lost my soul by gaining the world. I know I don't talk about those things with you, but I've sat under what people consider to be powerhouses. I don't use their names, even though they try to take credit for me. But I learned God is not what I want. I want what pleases you. Is it ministry? Or is it something else? We've got to look at that list and we've got to see what we're chasing. I had someone that was an intricate part of my ministry some years ago and they said they left because they loved what I taught. They loved me, but they needed a ministry with more visibility because of their calling on their lives. Now, this was their truth. We still friends to this day. And they have gotten what they wanted. 
But get this, at what cost? At what cost? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Is it ministry or is it something else? Because as far as I am concerned, the multitudes, this crowd that you see in this picture, that's the ministry. The stage and the platform is it. With all the change in the congregation, we currently have a generation of people building ministry on everything but what Jesus built his ministry upon. I'm asking you today, how can you get back to that place if you're lost? Because the spirit of this age is so strong that I know some powerful, profound ministers that are caught up in the spirit of this age. They're caught up. They have the crowds, but where are they taking them and how will they answer for their course? What is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Oh my God. Nothing's wrong with mega ministries at all. There's some very humble and broken people that God has positioned to lead a whole generation. They belong to him and they are serving him righteously despite all the gossip and all the heartache. People remember their hard places. People remember, they don't remember what the good they're doing now. All they can do is remember the ugly when they were in their transition period. But we have to see that if the tree was cut down, did it grow? Did a newness emerge? Because I promise you, everybody has their day of the cut down. You got to come that way. There's no avoiding it. God will do everything he can to get every ounce of pride of life out of you. And some of us will be cut down again and again. And prayerfully, some of us won't have to be cut down that, after that final time because thank God, I think I got that part. I don't want to go that way again. Trying to gain everything and lose my soul. God, I pray that I'm there now in that place. Not that I have arrived, but that that part is clear. Oh my God. A ministry is not gifts. Spiritual gifts or natural gifts do not make ministry, period. A ministry in our faith is not an organization, it's not a building, and it's not a platform. These things are vehicles that assist us in gathering the people. Ministry is not a position. 
It's not a hierarchical order or a military chain of command. Position is necessary to facilitate order, establish leadership boundaries, and position people for the most effective service that they're called to. But it doesn't identify what Jesus identified as ministry. Ministry is not achievement. It is not building or is not built on awards, recognitions, degrees, certifications, letters, as Paul called them. It's built on understanding that those types of things open doors. They only serve as keys of access. They only serve as opportunity options. That's all they do. They do not have anything to do with ministry. I have a lot of letters behind my name, but trust me, I'm only doing that because of the doors. I have a wonderful career behind me with evidence, awards. I don't talk about them, but they are open doors for me. Ministry is not achievement. Ministry is not prestige. Oh my God. It is influence that God wants. And it is righteousness and honor that God wants. It is respect and godly esteem that God wants. Why? Because it is example. And it is example that wins the kingdom, not your status. These are the idols of this age. The idols of this age. The idols of this age. It is respect that God wants. There are a lot of people with spiritual and natural gifts that you cannot respect. There are a lot of people in positions and hierarchical orders and giving out military commands that you cannot respect. There are people with letters behind their name, name on billboards everywhere, and you cannot respect them because their lives are not honorable. The Bible teaches example over idols. Oh my God, is it ministry or is it something else? Ministry isn't having a favorite pastor you like to listen to. There should never be a fight over Paul or Apollos. But listen, it is about the frequency that you are on. It is about that pastor's frequency, that leader's frequency. It is about what tunes into the truth of God that is resting on the inside of you. I'm drawn to frequency and frequency only. I am only guided by the frequency that I am on. If the frequency is not immersion, goodbye. So you have to figure out what your frequency is because a lot of people's, their frequency looks like this. 
That frequency is attuned to spiritual gifts and natural gifts. That frequency is attuned to position, hierarchical order, military chains of command. That freak, how can I be in charge? I want to be the big dog. I want everybody to see me. Their frequency is on achievement. More, 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 more money, more money, more money, more advancement. More people see me. More people, I'm the boss. I'm this. More prestige. More prestige straight up circus this is what i'm this is the machine is it ministry or is it something else ministry isn't for opportunists those looking to further themselves only climbing over anyone and anything to get where they perceive they need to be ministry however is about opportunity taking advantage of every opportunity to please God and fulfill his intention for people. Thank God that I got out of that season where I, Teresa, was chasing everything that I just told you about. That season ended for me in 2007 I walked away from the church so disillusioned, ready to quit, so broken. But the thing is, I was blaming the church and the Lord was like, no, baby, you came to the end of yourself. You came to the end of yourself, Teresa. You came to the end of yourself and you decided what you wanted and you decided that you weren't chasing platforms anymore, that you weren't chasing crowds anymore, that you were gonna perfect your frequency by chasing me. When we say, when I say to you, is it ministry or is it something else? It is to challenge us to ponder these very considerations. It's to cause us to have mercy on the people that are stuck in these cycles. It's to challenge us not to be quiet talking about the circus and not declaring authentic relationship, authentic mentorship, authenticity in everything. It's for a remnant to remain as we define the transition we are in right now and come to this new space that the church is in, a place where we can have real authentic ministries like the scribal conservatory, like some of the ministries that you have, where we can transition into things that will last, not worrying about the things people build that are temporal because they won't last. The Bible tells us that. They won't last. Oh my God, we need more mercy. We need more mercy. I'm gonna talk about this and then I'm gonna stop and we'll pick up next week. But listen, this is a Jesus definition of ministry. Not our spin on it, but a Jesus definition. It's core meaning is simple. It means to serve others. We know this. So there's no point in me talking to you about serving others again. because it, But it's to serve others in a selfless, self-sacrificing way 
for the sake of our commitment to fulfilling the Lord's intention. God needs sons that are going to redefine this because we have a, my daughter's generation. This is my observation. Some things that I have understood because of where I've been and because of where I'm going. A lot of people in this generation are caught up in those things that they think ministry is, but it's not. They think that they have a ministry because they can prophesy and draw a crowd. Listen to what I'm saying. So I can get on any platform and because I spend three hours prophesying to you and gathering 15,000 people, they think that's ministry. I want you to hear me in the spirit. I want you to hear me. They think that because they're on tour with some revelation that they have, that that is ministry. We're just bringing this in perspective because there's mercy here. Because if the Bible tells tells us that if we're raised by sons of hell, we become twice as much a son of hell as they are. So there is mercy in the midst of this. I'm going to show you in the scripture. Just bear with me. We have a whole lot of pop-up ministries right now. I've heard people use that phrase. And they think this is a new wave. There is no new wave if people, get this, are not being taken care of. The Bible describes that type of ministry as hirelings. Go read John 10. They're hirelings and they don't even realize they're operating in the stronghold of the hireling. Oh my God. I had to build this because to just go in and talk about it would crush and hurt people. It would make them feel targeted. It would cause them. But if you don't know any better, anything better than pop-up ministry, how can you change? You cannot build a people with pop-up ministries. You can't nurture a soul popping up. There has to be a structure. There has to be an order. There has to be a process for making disciples. There has to be a process for equipping because equipping is based on image and likeness. It's based on example. So we have pop up this and pop up that and prophecy line this and prophecy. And all that is, is the hype man at a rap concert. They go home with no accountability to you. With no accountability to you. They don't owe you an explanation concerning how they living because they just popping up. Oh my God. I hope this is making sense. Ministry is service. Dedicated service, absolute service, committed service. We don't have time to go through these, but it wouldn't be right for me not to show you this in scripture. 
Man, this is longer than I thought, so I'm going to have to come back next Sunday. I'm going to start at verse 20. This is, um, read it all. It's Matthew 20, and you'll know it because it talks about the vineyard, the laborers in the vineyard. It talks about um, Jesus reminding them that he's about to go be crucified and then resurrected. So we get to verse 20. This is the book of John, which is my favorite gospel. And we know, um, I'm just going to give you this backdrop. So so I'm going to give you this perfect example of what I just talked about. But Salam was the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John. If you don't know, um, Zebedee was a very prominent fisherman um, and very wealthy in the time that um, he lived. And when Jesus called James and John, when he saw them fishing with their father Zebedee, Jesus um, told them to come and follow me. And and the scripture tells us that Zebedee um, had hired servants that he put in his place. So we know that Zebedee's life was not upended because his children decided to um, follow Jesus. We also know that James and John were already disciples of um, the Johnny Mercer. You'll learn that they were also with him. And so they were already prepared to receive Jesus. So it wasn't like they didn't know Jesus was coming. And it wasn't like they didn't believe because they already did because they had been mentored by Johnny Mercer or John the Baptist, however you say him. So in Salam, you'll know who she is because when Jesus was being crucified, she was a part of the group that was following the procession and weeping and grieving over what was happening because she understood that the church was in the midst of a transition. So listen, I'm going to show you some things about Salam and, and her children in this message. So just bear with me. I needed to give you that background. So the scripture says, then Salam, and I'm using this particular version of the Bible. I believe this is the Amplified because it, it's saving me from explaining a lot of stuff. So we have this, then Salam, the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, came up to Jesus and her sons and kneeling down in respect, ask her favor of him. Now I've heard a lot of people preach this and, and it didn't sit well with me, some of, the trend, some of the ways I've heard it taught. But I'll just say this, Salam loved Jesus. Let's start with that. She loved him and we would learn to see how much she loved them later on down the road. <laughs> okay? I want, I, wanna, I wanna say that. The other thing is, is that um, Zebedee's children had been chosen by Jesus. He chose them. I want to say that again. He spoke to them and he called them. He chose them. And they immediately came to him without hesitation. So they're in the middle of getting it together and finding their place with Jesus. They're in transition. There's a time for this and a time for that. We talked about that from the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything under the sun, there's a time for, and there's a time for what's about to take place right now, because Jesus used this to teach them and to bring them into a higher place. So Salam came on behalf. Oh, one more thing I want to tell you. People don't know this, or I've not heard it taught, 
But when you start studying James and John and a little bit of the history that's available from Zebedee, and I found the scripture in the book of Acts that indicated that Zebedee's household was tied to the Jewish priesthood, which would have meant that James and John may have been, if they had followed along with the Jewish tradition, may have at some point been some form or around or in the lineage of the Aaronic priesthood. So I just want to say that because this explains a lot that's happening in this passage of scripture. I love Bible history and I study so that I can understand things. So here they are still in the mindset of what we will call the 20th century church. And so here is Salam, the mother of Zebedee's children, um, James and John. She's still under the spirit of the age of her time. And she understands position and hierarchy and titles and their importance. And she understands how important all of those things are among the Jewish way of doing things, which was the high priesthood. Because remember, right now at that time in history, you still have the law of Moses fighting for his right to survive right alongside the newness that Christ is, br is bringing. The people who were trying to kill Christ was not strangers. It was the church after his head. It was the church after his head. So let's keep that in mind. His Christ is Jesus's greatest antagonist was the very people who should have known who he was. So, and he said to Salam, he said, what do you wish? What can I do for you? How may I help you? What is it that you need? And she answered him and she said, command that your king, your king, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit in positions of honor and authority, one on your right hand and one on your left. This is the state of mind of the spirit of this age. I'm entitled to a high place. I'm entitled to be noticed and to be seen. I'm entitled to this and that. I'm going to go get mine. That's, that, it's a, I want you guys to see this. Who's following? Who's going with me on this journey? I want you to see this. In the carnal nature of man, people are clinging to all of the things that I warned you about. I need to be rich because that'll show God with me. Listen, oh, everything that I mentioned before, those points, they go right here. Command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit in positions of honor and authority on your right, one put one of them on your right hand and one on your left. Oh my God, think not more highly than you ought. So here is Salam, based on whatever that lineage is, whatever perception she has of her sons, based on the prestige that her husband has. Listen, my sons are the bomb. I'm prideful enough to say that they need to be on the left and right hand of Jesus. Oh my God. The pride of life that she didn't even realize she was walking in. 
because the old system, the spirit of that system she was in told her that was okay. It taught her and her family that that was okay. You know as well as I do, by the time we see John later down the road, he is nothing like that. Because he came through his transition season. He grew up. Salam grew up. They matured. Listen to the next word. But Jesus replied, listen, you do not realize what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Now, see, in the religious world, you can't have what I got because you can't bend what I've been through. You know, name a thousand ministers. Now, that's one phrase I have never used because I have sense enough to know that my ungodly life and what I went through in my ungodly life is not a testimony to what God is going to do for me. My past life has nothing to do with that. My calling has nothing to do with my suffering. I was preordained to do what I'm doing right now. But that's another story. I'll let that sit. Some of y'all will get that tomorrow because when flesh teaches, flesh teaches from the pride of life. Thinking that, that they had transitioned from that Job mindset to the Jesus mindset. They still think they Job. Job is dead. And Jesus died for anything Job did. You have a clean slate. Your suffering is not the prerequisite for the anointing on your life. Your immersion is. All right? Your immersion is. Your immersion is under the resurrected Christ. Oh, my God. You do not realize what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? There are two things I want you to know from this. One, Jesus could have responded in another way. He could have done like he did with other people. He didn't respond to everybody like this when they asked him similar questions. He got him told. But these people right here, he responded differently because get this, they were his. And he understood their transition. He understood that they didn't know any better. He understood that they were still coming out of an old system. He understood that what needed to take place was one simple thing. They needed to be taught with mercy. And they needed to be taught with grace. But listen. The side of them that understood Christ knew this. They answered. James and John answered and they said, we are able to take the cup. Oh my God. Jesus realized in that moment, he said, I know some of the doctrine messed up. I know you still operating out of the old system, but you have the revelation that you are able to bear this cross that I'm walking. Remember the scripture, it says, take up your cross and follow me. They had a revelation of that. They had a revelation of what that meant. And the Lord is saying, you're able to understand what that meant. Oh my God, I can work with you. 
I know you don't really understand what it means to be one with me because you want a meaning, you want a position, but I'm going to deal with that. And this is what he said. He said, you will indeed drink my cup of suffering. Now, this is suffering in ministry, different from your testimony. This is the kind of suffering that comes with maturity. This is the kind of suffering that comes with growing up. This is the kind of suffering that comes with stripping off your your emotions, all your flesh. You're taking sides to throw your hands up and say, I'm going to respond to this situation like Jesus. I'm going to enter into this mindset because the kind of of death that that Jesus was calling forth for them at the time was the kind that made you lay down your own life and pick up his. And they said, we are able. He said, you will drink of my suffering, drink of my cup of my suffering, me ministry suffering, not your testimony stuff and you being spit on and people talking about you, all that low level stuff, that ain't what they talking about. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. In other words, it's for those who understand why I've come and that are willing to take the position that I have for them, not the position they feel like they're entitled to, the position they want from their imagination, the position somebody's trying to give them to manipulate them, the position they see open so they can get rich quick and live good in this life. Not that position. Not the position of being the Kardashians of the prophetic church. Not that position. He is looking for people who can be lovers of people for no reason other than the fact that ministry is people. And what does the church do? And when the other 10 heard this, they became at who they think they is asking to be on the right hand. They missed the whole message. I want you guys to see that. I want you to see how bad they missed that message. They missed it. They missed an opportunity to be merciful. They missed an opportunity to see the grace of God in that entire conversation. They missed the message because they too busy watching what Joe down the street doing. Oh, look at her. How I got, look at what they did. That ain't none of your business because God knows who belongs to him and he knows what the finished work will be. He knows the seasons that men are in and he knows how it's going to work out because he said there's a time to live and a time to die, a time of war, a time for peace, a time of plucking, a time for planting. This was their time. And these few right here missed it on the first go around. But then what did Jesus do? Because they belonged to him, he called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles have absolute power and lord it over them. 
and their great men exercise authority over them, tyrannizing them. It is not the way among you. He completely ignored them and brought them back to the point of the whole lesson. It is not the way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall first become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be willing to be, be willing and a humble slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many paying the price to set them free from the penalty of sin. The call to ministry is this. It'll never be anything else but this. It'll never have another definition. It'll never have another look, another feel. It'll never have any other meaning. It'll never have any other recognition to God because this definition is eternal. Men can make it about a building. I have a ministry. You got a building and you're operating as a hireling. People come and people go without any accountability, without any structure, without any plan for progress. A hireling. Everyone is called to ministry. Every believer is called to ministry, but at different capacities. But it goes wrong when the pride of life enters in and causes us to position ourselves in something and for something we were never given. And that was never proportioned to us. Humble leadership tries to help you find out where you fit, just like Christ did. He said, I, I can't give you left or right. How, how can I give you left or right? What I can give you is these instructions. Then it let that way not be the way among you. But if you desire to be great, start serving people. Oh my God. Serving people without wanting anything in return. That's ministry. Most people don't have ministries. Is it ministry or is it something else? Wow. Most people don't have ministries. Is it ministry or is it something else? Is it serving others or is it something else? Is it being likeness and image or is it something else? That's the question. Father, I just thank you for the message that you released today. I thank you for how you have spoken into our hearts and into our minds. Father, I pray that the intention of the ministry of this message is heard from a place of mercy and grace. Father, I pray that you're not, that people are not left wondering, what do I have? Did God come? That is not the point of this ministry and this message. The point of this message is for them to leave and say, is what I have doing 
what is designed, what is designed to do in the kingdom. And if it's not doing that, what am I disconnecting from that put me in a place where I can contribute what I have to the whole? Let me see, maybe I've missed it, not because what I'm doing is wrong, but because I tried to make myself sit on the left or right instead of being in the middle of something that has already been built and established and put in place. Maybe I'm off walking outside of my parameters. Maybe what I'm doing is the reason why the ministry isn't taking off is because it's supposed to be connected with something else and flourishing in that environment. Maybe be what I am called to do is supposed to operate in a different capacity. Father, I pray that we're open to being corrected by Holy Spirit today. Holy Spirit, I just declare in the name of Jesus, I can't speak for them, but I only want to move where you move me. I only want to operate how you operate within me. I don't want to speak things that all have to do is glorify me, but it doesn't give you any preeminence in the lives of, other, lives of others or in my life, God. I am called to serve. You said the first will be last and the last will be first. And Father, I believe that because that is your pattern in Jesus' name. Have your perfect work within us. Change our minds with the mind of Christ. Change our willing hearts in the name of Jesus. Cause us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Don't forget to give. Don't forget to... Um, be a blessing to the ministry. Just want to let you all know real quick. I'm going to stop the recording.